Good morning, good morning. Go and look at somebody on your right or left. Just go and say it again. Happy New Year. Yeah. Man, it's so good to see. Out of all the places you could be on January 1st, 2023, you have chosen to be in church. Go and look at somebody else and just saying, good job, good job. Go and tell them, you did it, you made it, you made it. Hey, if nothing else, you probably stayed up and watched football or made, were made to watch football with somebody else until, uh, until uh, the new year came in and, uh, and some of you guys are in mourning. I'm not going to point out the Ohio State fans, but, uh, but they're amazing people, all right? They just lost yesterday, all right? Um, but uh, but uh, Alabama is not even in the running, so praise the Lord. There's a lot of pressure off Alabama, all right? Um, but t- today is such a, a great day because, you know, the new year, you always kind of have an opportunity to turn a page, start a new chapter, uh, have a new beginning, fresh start. Uh, we're, we're in that way in a lot of ways right now in our church. I mean, God is 2022 by far the most amazing year of mine and Amy's ministry. Not just, we can't, not just saying that about in our church. Like I've, I've never been a part of a church where God did what he did through our church last year. It's just crazy, amazing. And here's what's nuts. I believe this year will be better. I really do in, in every way. I believe God is going to use you guys in remarkable ways. Um, today they're announcing at Five Forks that in a couple weeks they're starting a third service in Five Forks. That's pretty awesome. There's a lot of things going on in the planting of the Haywood campus. Dallas and Jenna are here this morning. And, uh, and, and they, and, 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 let me say it like this, Dallas and Jenna have said yes to being the planters of our campus on the corner of Lawrence Road and Haywood Road. It's going to be Upstate Church Haywood. A lot of information coming soon. Uh, you'll have an opportunity for six or eight weeks while the core group is meeting in the North Auditorium. I'm going to really push you to go check it out. Uh, go over there and, and, and pray about if God would have you to be a part of that campus plant. Today, I've already had multiple ones of you say, hey, I'm really praying about that. If, if we're to be a part of that uh, planting core group to go. Uh, Dallas, Jenna, stand up real quick. I know that's really embarrassing. We don't do that in a Baptist church anymore, right? But Dallas and Jenna, go and praise the Lord for Dallas and Jenna. Verge, yeah. And... Um, after, after church, if you would find them, if you're interested, if you're praying about that, find them in the lobby and let Dallas know. You may, well, I don't want to put pressure on myself to obligate my, that's not what this is, but he will write your name down and get your phone number. Amen. But it's not going to be pressure. It's just going to be wanting to update you. There are going to be meetings coming up. Don't want you to miss. So if you're already there, find him and Jenna today. Don't wait. Go ahead and make that a matter of prayer. And uh, God's going to do some crazy, amazing stuff uh, in and through you this year. So praise the Lord. Take your Bibles and turn in, turn on your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Now we're going to look in John 3 a little bit too. At least I'm going to refer to John 3 a little bit today. It's going to be a little different. I want you to stick with me if you're a note taker. You need to either have your phone out, taking notes on notes, or a pen and paper. This, and some of it's on the app. The three major points that we'll get to with eight minutes left, all right, are, are going to be uh, in there. But you're going to need some, some opportunity to take notes on practically how to be a witness for Jesus in 2023. If there's anything we should be resolved to do, it's to be a witness for Jesus, I mean, we're good at making resolutions that we don't keep, making commitments that are half-hearted 
I joke around, but it's true. I have a membership at a gym I have not been to in eight months, all right? Uh, but I, hey, guess what? I'm committed to going next week, right? Because it's January. Everybody goes to the gym in January. And, uh, and so look, we're, we're used to making commitments and, and resolving ourselves to do this and that. Let's not do like nonsense resolutions. Let's make this like truly, I resolve myself to make a commitment to do what God's calling me to do. And, and look, this is true of all of us. God's called you to be a witness. God's called you to be one who shares his or her faith with people around them, their community, their family, their friends. But it's a good time to start something new. You ever wanted to just have a do-over? I wish I could start over. I wish I could do it again. New Year's is like that. I remember the story um, when I was pastoring a church in Georgia. I'll try to be vague because I don't want to, I'm not going to say the names of the people, the innocent and all that. Uh, but uh, but, but I, there was a mother and a daughter who were in the nursing home at the same time. Only time that's ever happened in my ministry where I would go and visit mom and, and daughter in the nursing home. And I would I'd do the same every time. I would go and I'd knock on the the door of the daughter, and I'd, I'd sit and talk with her for a little while. She was about 75, and uh, she was in much better uh, shape, so she would then get up and go with me to the mom's room next door, and we would just have a good old time talking. Well, one day in particular, I was uh, going to visit, and I got to the daughter's room, and I knocked, and, and uh, the door was kind of shut, cracked, and so I, I kind of, you know, little again like you do in the hospital or whatever, and she said, hey, sweetie. I mean, that, isn't that sweet? Hey, sweetie, come on in. Come on in. If y'all, if y'all are from the north, you're like, really? Yeah, that's how she taught. All right. Come on in, sweetie. And so I said, oh, okay. Hey, it's good to see you. She said, you sit right here on the bed. She was sitting in a chair beside the bed. And I was like, okay. So I sat down on the bed. We talked for a while, probably five minutes, man. And finally I said, hey, you want to go see your mom next door? And this is just crazy. Listen, she said, she said, well, Give me just a minute, and I'll be finished, and then we'll go to mom's room. I said, what, you, you fit, finish, do, and, and I just looked down at the floor, and I noticed the chair that she was sitting in was also a portable toilet that was currently being used by the daughter. That was the time I wish I could hit a redo button. You know what I'm saying? Because there's no good way to say, well, praise the Lord. Let, uh, you know, I'll be praying for you. For the, what, do you what do you say? I, I can think of several things that will make you laugh that would be wrong for me to say right now. I'm just not going to say it, all right? But there's a lot of awkward times. There's a lot of times where you wish you could back up 10 minutes. There's people in this room, probably all of us maybe in some ways, wish we could back up 10 years. And do some things differently. Well, this is an opportunity, January 1, 2023, to turn a page, start a new chapter, and to, to more effectively do what Jesus is calling you to do. He's not just calling you to go to church, man. All right? He's not just calling you to be a religious person. That's not true. It's not just about religion. It's about following him. And when you follow him, there's some things he expects you to do. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Here's the bottom line of the day. We must be resolved to bring people to Jesus. Now, the next three weeks are going to be messages that if you bring an unbeliever, they're going to hear some practical messages from the Word of God 
that they're going to find helpful, but then they're also going to be given an opportunity to connect with Jesus, all right? And so I, w- I want to challenge you to hear the message today as a, as a challenge to you to bring your friends to Jesus, because we must be resolved first and foremost above all other things to bring people to Jesus. So in John chapter 4, I'm going to start by just summarizing the first half of the chapter, all right? It starts with some interesting news. The Pharisees have just heard uh, about Jesus' ministry taking off, man. In, in fact, it was so effective and he was so successful in the ministry at this point that he was baptizing more, or the, the scriptures actually gets real specific, and said it wasn't him that was baptizing, but his disciples. So the disciples of Jesus were baptizing more people than John the Baptist. The awesome thing about John the Baptist is it wasn't a competition to him. He wasn't threatened by that. John the Baptist constantly pointed to Jesus. He knew that he was a forerunner. He was not the Messiah. John 1 says he was not the light, but he was bearing witness of the light. So this is a a beautiful picture of Jesus was actually uh, becoming well-known. People were coming to Jesus, and they were uh, finding a transformative um, relationship and following him. And so with that, we see that Jesus hears about the Pharisees' knowledge of his success, a little confusing, and he says, let's leave. Let's leave Judea and let's go to Galilee. But in verse 4, it says something that always throws us off in this story. He said he had to go through Samaria. Now, if you know the geography of the land, that's not actually true geographically. In other words, it's not shorter to go through Samaria. It's not a shortcut. It was not advantageous for him physically to go that way. So it tells us there was a divine appointment. There had to have been a reason for him to say he had to go through Samaria. So Jesus went to Sychar, which is in Samaria, and he went to a well in the middle of the day to draw water. Now we'll, we'll talk a little bit about why that's interesting in a minute. But the woman that was at the well asked Jesus, actually Jesus asked her for a drink of water. Now you may say, well, that's not a big deal. It was a very big deal. In fact, the woman thought it was a big deal. The woman actually asked him, why are you asking a Samaritan woman for a drink of water. It's culturally unacceptable. I don't know why. This is weird. I, I don't know what's going on. But it led into a conversation. Again, it was, it was a conversation Jesus started about the differences between Samaritans' beliefs and Jerusalem, I mean, and the Jewish beliefs. And it actually led the woman into eventually a, um, a, a conversation or a confrontation with who this man, Jesus, was. So Jesus gets very direct with the woman and offers her a water, and a living water, and says, hey, if you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. Well, we see in verse 16, the woman's like, man, give me some of this water. Give me some of the water to drink. And Jesus' response to her is, again, very odd. It seems strange on the surface. He says, yeah, call your husband and, and, and go, come with me. Tell him to come. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're telling the truth. You have five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not even your husband. You're not even living. You're not even married to him. So what is that? As Jesus getting serious and real. Like he's confronting this woman with the truth. So he's telling the woman the truth about herself. And you might even go as far as to say, for sure, he's like exposing her sin. 
Now, again, that's going to make sense, and, and we'll understand some of these principles in just a minute of why Jesus does that. But that's the context we're talking about. And, and Jesus' approach, I think we can already see in chapter 4, but it's also true in chapter 3, a story of a religious man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus. Both of these two chapters are about evangelism. They're really about how do we share with people who are not like us about the changeless gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in chapter 3 and chapter 4, there are some principles that we're going to find. Because what happens to uh, the Samaritan woman, even more clearly than Nicodemus, is that she truly does find a fresh start. She, gets a, she has a new beginning where she ultimately experiences life change and things happen as a result. Real quickly, I want, I want to answer the question, so what does it look like if somebody is truly desiring to lead people to Jesus? We're not getting to the three major points yet, all right? These are just characteristics of people who desire to lead people to Jesus. Please write them down or type them in your notes because these are things, we, if we're resolved to be people who want to bring people to Jesus, if we want to do what our mission statement as a church is, and that is connect people in the upstate with Jesus to change their world, then there's some clear things we're going to have to do to make that a reality in our lives. Here's the first thing. One who sincerely desires to lead people to Jesus must be patient and flexible. We've got to be patient and flexible. Uh, the second thing, and I'll, then I'll talk about it in just a second, is that we must be willing to be inconvenienced. Both of those are really all the same. We've got to be patient, we've got to be flexible, and we've got to be willing to be inconvenienced. And here's how we see that in the scriptures. Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3 at night. It was not the normal time to come. Some people have, uh, you know, I guess uh, guessed or speculated that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he was ashamed. He didn't want to be seen by the other religious leaders, the Pharisees, because they all hated Jesus. And so, so you might say, well, if, if Nicodemus is ashamed of Jesus, he shouldn't get an appointment, right? That's how, that's how religious elitists would handle it. Jesus met him when he was ready to meet. It's really important. The woman at the well was in the middle of the day, not the middle of the night, middle of the day. It was hot. It wasn't when you would normally go to the well. People would go to the well early in the morning when it was not hot. Why was the woman there? It was because she was not a woman of high uh, esteem. She was not, she didn't have a great reputation. And this is, most commentators would say that's why she was there in the heat of the day. It's because she was there when no one else was there. She didn't want to be embarrassed. She didn't want to be shamed. And so she would go when she could kind of hide, slip in, slip out. Here's the thing. Jesus met both of these people where they were. He was patient with them. Even in their difficulty and understanding, he explained to Nicodemus, you remember the new birth, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was like, how am I going to enter back into my mother's womb? This makes no sense. Jesus was patient. He explained with him, uh, he explained to him, that the simplicity of the gospel, using illustrations, using pictures of something he understood, the birth of a child, to explain uh, really salvation. And, and the same with, with the woman at the well, because we see that he was willing to be inconvenienced, even to go uh, through Samaria when it was out of the way. But then fourth, uh, one who sincerely desires to lead people to Jesus cannot pick and choose the target of God's grace. We can't pick and choose. You may say, well, Nicodemus is a religious elitist, man. He's a self-righteous hypocrite. I'm not sharing the gospel 
with him. Uh, but hey, I'll share with the Samaritan woman. Or, or maybe you'd say, well, man, the Samaritan woman, she has a terrible reputation. She doesn't deserve the grace of God. I'm going to, to Nicodemus. But here's what most Christians do. They don't go to either. I mean, we just leave them both out. I mean, we totally neglect the call of God on our witness or our evangelism, except in these limited cases of where it's comfortable for us to reach people who are like us. You know what will really light up the upstate of South Carolina when godly, born-again children of God actually become witnesses to him to people who aren't like them? You want to know what will shock people in your neighborhood who aren't like you for you to act like you care about them? Act like you care where they're going to spend eternity. It'll blow their minds that you give a rip, all right? And so this is the picture. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is we can't pick and choose. The story here in, in Genesis 3 and Genesis 4, I'm sorry, Genesis. We're back in Genesis now, undoubtedly. In John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 is that Nicodemus was a Jew. This woman was a Samaritan. Uh, Nicodemus was a man. Uh, the Samaritan was a woman. And then we see that one was learned or smart. The other was probably, most likely, not educated. One was rich and one was poor. One was socially elite. The other one was socially unacceptable. The fact is, God has not called you to be God. He's not called me to pick and choose who deserves the grace of God. That's why John 3, 16 is there, right? For God so loved the world that whoever you like the most... Is that what it is? No, God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the gospel. So we've got to make sure that we don't pick and choose who are the targets of God's grace. But then if you really desire to, to lead people to Jesus, you've got to move beyond small talk into a deeper conversation. And then I'm going to give you another one that's related to that. If we desire to lead people to Jesus, we've also got to move beyond a single conversation into an ongoing relationship. Not all the time. There are times where you can, you can connect with your neighbor, a friend, a coworker, somebody at school with you, and you, you could lead them to the Lord quickly. You can get them to come to church with you quickly. And you can actually walk with them and have multiple conversations and then, then embrace the grace of God. Get set. That definitely can happen. There are other times where you're going to have to actually be willing to be inconvenienced to the point to where you're, you're investing in their lives. You're willing to actually have a relationship, an ongoing relationship. There are people in this room, I'm not going to point you out because I don't want to embarrass anybody. There are people in this room who have legitimately connected with people they would have, that are unlike them. They are different than them. They're both groups of people, wonderful people, but they wouldn't have normally been in the same community. They wouldn't have normally been in the same friend group, but they left their comfort zones to go build a relationship with somebody who was not like them. And as a result today, those people who were far from God have now received the forgiveness of their sins, the grace of God, and they've been born again by the power of God because of a willing witness. That's the difference. The willing witness to leave the comfort zone and to actually share with people who are far from God. So if you really desire to be a witness, it's going to require us to move beyond a single conversation into an ongoing relationship. Let me say it like this. Evangelism is a personal, non-negotiable expectation of a follower of Jesus. It is a person. Say it like, shorten it. Evangelism is personal. Evangelism is personal. And, and look, I, I have no desire to make anybody feel guilty today. I don't want to shame you into being evangelistic. That would be meaningless and the wrong motivation. 
But I want you to understand why most people aren't evangelistic is because it's not personal. If faith is personal, you will want to share it with people you love, with people you care about. And so evangelism is personal. It's a personal, non-negotiable. It's not like, oh, these people can be witnesses. These people don't have to be. Well, Wayne, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for 20 years. I'm not a gifted, I'm not gifted in the area of evangelism. Have you ever heard that? Please don't say you've said it, all right? But, but have you ever heard, oh, I'm just not gifted in evangelism. I know what people mean by that. My dad, uh, maybe watching right now, my dad is an exceptional witness. I mean, there's some people who can just share the gospel and it's like a pine tree gets saved. You know what I'm saying? It's just crazy. I mean, it's like they're, they're just gifted relationally and personality-wise. It's like God just made them to do it more effectively and so what we do as a result, when we see somebody like my dad, we're just like, well, I'll never be as, as effective at evangelism as, as, as him. And so I'm not gifted. I'll let him do the evangelism thing and I'll do this area. But see, that's not the way the gospel works. That's not the way Christianity works. God calls you, according to Matthew chapter 28, 18, 19, 20, to go and make disciples. We're all called to be disciple makers that means we, we are witnesses, Acts 1.8. You'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so that is all Christians. That's not just pastors. That's not just, that's not just gifted evangelists. That's everybody who follows Jesus is called to be a witness. And so we can't use that as an excuse. We've got to make sure we own it. So if we sincerely desire to lead people to Jesus, we must next be clear and make it easy to understand. Part of the reason why you may not share your faith as often as you should is because you think it's too complicated. I mean, I talk to people all the time who are just like, I just don't, I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to get it wrong. And, and you're going to see in this woman's life, here's what she did. She just shared what happened to her. So you want to you do it easy and make it easy for people to understand and clear? Just tell people what happened to you when you met Jesus. You may be like, well, I don't really know how to share that. If you don't know what happened to you when you met Jesus, something's wrong. I know it's January 1st, but are y'all okay? Y'all awful quiet today. I mean, this is really quiet. It's kind of worrying me. But, but look, if, if, you can't, if you can't articulate at some level that I was hopeless and then Jesus forgave me and saved me, there's a big problem. So like, just tell people what God did in your life, first of all, that's, that's really what the woman does. Make it simple and easy to understand. With Nicodemus, Jesus talked about being born again. And then with the woman's well, he used the example of living water. And you may say, well, wait a minute. Don't we have to be born again? Yes. And, and is Jesus the living water? Yes. But in another real simple way, Jesus was trying to make it easy to understand. He was taking a, an infinite concept that is beyond our understanding and trying to bring it down to a religious elitist level and down to a, a woman at the well level. And guess what? He did it and it was super effective. And so with that, we need to make it clear. The final thing real quickly is if we want to be an effective witness for Jesus, we've got to make sure that we balance grace and truth. And we talk about this all the time, but it's super important to know that it's not just about sharing the truth. It's not just about yelling the truth. It's not just about, about being unashamed of the truth. Is that important? Absolutely. But, but Jesus, John 1, 14, was full 
of grace and truth. So we should not, we must not, we will not water down and dilute the truth. We're going to speak the truth. We're going to acknowledge we're sinners. He pointed out she had been married five times and living with a man that wasn't her husband. He told her the truth, but he didn't condemn her or push her away. He loved her and showed her grace. He was full of both grace and truth. So what are some things we can learn from this woman? Now we're going to get to the three points of the message. I promise it'll be quick. These are more applications of the woman. And let's read first in verse 27, John 4, 27. And at first I want you to hear the point though. We learn a lesson that her priorities changed when she met Jesus. Her priorities completely changed when she met Jesus. If you've met Jesus, your priorities should have changed. This new year, if you're a follower of Jesus, my priorities must change if I'm going to be an effective follower of Jesus. Look look at verse 27 of John 4. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking to this woman. But, But no one said to him, hey, what do you see? What are you looking for? Why are you talking to the Samaritan woman? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town. Now understand he had already shared who he was I'm who before you am he. He was the Messiah. He shared this. She dropped her water jar and she ran into town. And we need to see this. She took a jar to the well for a reason. What was it? To get physical water so she could drink it. But she, she, though she took a jar to the well for a reason, she actually went back to town with water that wouldn't fit in the jar. That water wouldn't fit. The living water that Jesus provided to her rendered the jar useless. Man, here's what we got to see. What was the jar? She became the jar. (laughs) She became the jar of living water and she couldn't keep it to herself. And I'm curious, how many people here today need to leave the water jar behind? Man, your neighbors, your friends, your family, they... It's not that you don't know they, they need Jesus. They desperately need. They, they got, they've got this problem. they got this problem. They, man, they have this need. And I've, I've got all these answers, man. And so I've got these water jars. And I'm trying to offer them help. I'm trying to give, give them Jesus, man. Give them Jesus. That's the need that they have. Their soul is thirsting for living water. And you're trying to give them a jar filled with water that will not satisfy. So this is the picture. It's a simple picture of the explanation of what your and my responsibility is in relationship to being a witness. Could we admit that there are times we try to fix people's problems with a jar of water when Jesus is the real answer for their problem? So her priorities changed. Everything changed. Number two, her past did not disqualify her. This is one of my favorite parts of the story. Because, man, it'd be real easy for us to say, well, you know, she had to be disqualified because all she had done... I mean, think about it. I mean, she had, she, she had so much sin. I mean, Jesus pointed it out. So it had to be like, hey, you know, I, I'm the living water, but you can't have none. Is that, but that's not what he said. So he pointed out her sin, but he didn't say she was disqualified from it. And so I think this is kind of the, the takeaway for us. Your testimony is not about you. My testimony is not about me. I think we get confused when we start thinking that somehow in order to be effective at reaching lost people, we have to act like we've never been lost. That's so dumb, right? Think about it. Are y'all, all right, get it, got it good, ready? Get it? All right, 10 of you. Stick with me, please. Because here's the deal. We, God doesn't need you to fake it. 
and act like you're, you're good enough and you didn't deserve and that you did deserve grace. God doesn't need you to be a Pharisee. God has not called you to be a religious elitist. God's called you to be an unworthy woman at the well who runs back to people and to tell them about a water she found at the well. See, this is the difference. I mean, we're filled in a culture that, that the lost people look at the church as a bunch of Pharisees. Why do they do that? Because most churches are filled with a bunch of Pharisees who think they deserve God and think the people outside the walls don't deserve God. Look, there's no man or woman outside the walls of this church in the upstate of South Carolina who deserve the grace of God any less than me and any less than you. God loves them, and Jesus died for them. And so we can't come at this with some self-righteous, pharisaical, hypocritical approach in 2023. How's God going to do more through our church this year than last year? That we'll surrender more. We'll sacrifice more. We'll be willing to do whatever he's calling us to do. That we're not just going to be observers. We're going to be participants. We're going to all recognize that it's not a call of a few, but it's a call of all. That we're all called to be a part of this mission that he's called us to. Then we're going to drop our water jars. We're not going to use our past as an excuse or try to hide our past. See, I think sometimes we try to hide our past because we're ashamed of it and we try to act like we never needed Jesus to begin with. That's so backwards. And here's a, a picture right here. The woman at the well, she, God used her failure as an opportunity to share with people who were far from him. And in this is a clear summary statement. An understanding of our thirst is a prerequisite to, to receiving a drink of living water. You, you can't... You can't recognize that you need to drink until you recognize you're, you're desperately thirsty. And so the worst thing we could do is act like we never really needed the water to begin with. Man, you were lost. You were desperate. You were hopeless. And I was too. So what that, what's that lead us to? Well, here's the deal. When we recognize that our past doesn't disqualify us, we recognize a transformed heart leads to a transferred gospel. Let me say it like this again. It's going to be super confrontational, warning ahead of time. The reason that the gospel is not transferred through us oftentimes is because we, our heart has not been transformed. If you're like, I, I, transferring the gospel, communicating the God, Wayne, I've never shared my faith. I mean, I, I'm not trying to convince you you're lost. I promise you that I do not want you to doubt your salvation. But I, I want you to, to allow the Holy Spirit of God to inspect your heart. Because you have to ask the question, how in the world can your heart have been radically transformed by the power of God and you never tell somebody about it? That's not following Jesus at all. That's enjoying the benefits of a sacrifice while allowing everyone you say you love to die and spend eternity from a loving God in a place called hell. And being okay with it. You want to resolve something in 2023? Love lost people. Love your neighbor. I mean, love them enough to care about where they're going to spend eternity. Look at verse 29, John 4, 29. The woman goes to her community. Look what she says. Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, teacher, eat. But he said to them, I have food 
to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has he been to McDonald's? That's not what it says, but something like that. Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. God help us. Can this be my prayer in 2023 that, that I could say that I desire more than anything else, the food that I eat is to do the will of God to accomplish the work that he sent me here to do. And I know you, you may, man, if you're a visitor, whoo, you may be like, whoo, what a challenge. Now, listen to this. This is a church that will change a town, a region for the glory of God, a church filled with people who want to please God more than eat lunch, who stop looking at a clock and start allowing the Holy Spirit of God to examine their heart, to stop looking at the bank account and wondering, oh, what do I need to pray for now because it's a wish list. And stop saying, God, what, what are you going to do for me next? Show me a new trick in my life. You want to you see a people that God will use to radically change South Carolina. This, this group of people could radically change the state of South Carolina. If we just give our lives, I mean completely give our lives to Jesus. If we wanted him more than food. If we wanted to do his will and accomplish his work more than anything in our lives. That is a people God will use. And that's what he's trying to say. Look, look at verse 35. We've heard this verse. You've heard it a million times. Maybe never thought about context. Do you not say, listen to this. There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white unto harvest. Those disciples, when they lifted up their eyes, would not have seen Jerusalem. I want you to get this because you ain't going to want it. Listen, they wouldn't have lifted up their eyes and saw people like them. They were standing in Sychar. They were standing in Samaria. They were standing in a place where people hated Jews. They were not standing in a comfortable environment. They were sharing with people, or Jesus was challenging them to share with people who were not like them, who made it awkward to talk to them, who wanted to debate them and argue with them all the time. These are, this is the context. Lift up your eyes. The fields are white in harvest. The reason the church in North America is ineffective at reaching lost people many reasons we could give. They don't care enough about lost people. They're satisfied to be happy they've got their ticket to heaven. They don't really care about anybody else. But, but listen, we only want to share with people who are easy to share with. We only want to take the gospel with people who look like us, who smell like us, and walk like us, talk like us, vote like us. God forbid. That is not an obedient Christian. That is a rebellious follower of Jesus who refuses to share the gospel with everybody. And so, so with that challenge, look what she did. She actually shared with people who were the hardest people for her to share with. Her people were her audience. Now Jesus demonstrated, took the gospel to the Samaritans. But then after he reached her, she went back to the people who were closest to her. Now I say closest to her, not, not that she was friends with them or loved them, because the fact of the matter is she would have been an outcast. They would, have, they would have known all about her. They would have known her best. They would have known her worst. They would have known why she didn't deserve this, this grace. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus 
because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. Look at this, 41. And many more believed because of his word. And they went to the woman, they were like, hey, thanks for sharing. Uh, But it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So what are we saying? There's always been a debate, as long as I've been in ministry, is it go and tell or come and see? Uh, the, the Great Commission is going to all the world, make disciples. But there's multiple passages like this where we see people who've been changed radically by the power of God say, come and see. They, 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 child, they shared their story. Here's what Jesus has done in my heart and my life. I want you to meet him though. And so these, these people came to Jesus because of her testimony but they believed for themselves once they connected with him. So here's the truth. Have you ever considered that the people who are most difficult for you to share with may be the ones God has made you to impact the most? The people who are hard to share with because they know you the best. They, they, they were with you when you grew up. They, man, they just are very difficult we, we just say, hey, let me get somebody else to go share with them. Look, the strangest of ways, God uses the bad things in our past to bring him glory. How? We are living demonstrations of the grace of God. We're walking billboards of what God can do with an unworthy man. I, I'm not going to go into detail because I share it so often, but I want you to know I'm a living demonstration of what God can do with an absolute loser. Somebody who did not deserve the grace of God. If it was based on intellect, bro, I would have been the last. If it was based on reputation, I was the worst. So if you're here and you'd be like, I'm so far away from God, there's no way. I, man, forget that. Come to him. He has, he has an awesome ability to, to make much out of nothing. And if you're a Christian, stop trying to prove people that you're better than they are and that somehow you're a Christian because you're a great person not because of Jesus admit how lost you were admit how desperate you needed Jesus how thirsty you were before you got the living water and then share that water with them and that's the challenge today Lord we love you God we thank you for your word it is so challenging and powerful and convicting I know today, first Sunday in January, it's a really tough word to start the year off. A lot of, a lot of resolutions we can make. A lot, of, a lot of us need to make improvements in our health and our family relationships. But God, would you show us the priority that if there's anything we should be resolved to do, it ought to be a witness to you. God, I pray that you would use us, strengthen us. Use your church in 2023 in unimaginable ways. God, would you do that, Lord, as we surrender? We pray that you would speak and use us in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?